Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoccom forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoccom and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And even your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SASDoc founder membership. This podcast is sponsored by G2, the place for buying, selling, and reviewing software. All audiences aren't built equally. Learn to connect with interested and engaged buyers at the right time with G2 Buyer Intent. Uncover who's researching your product so you know when to reach out and what to say. Sell more and close bigger deals by sending personalized messages directly to buyers ready to talk tech. G2, smarter software decisions made together. Join the community at www.sell. G2.com/sastock. The CEO or the leader in, in organizations needs to be the person that brings this level of cohesive and alignment. His job is to, to garner and drive consensus across the leadership team that everyone one is engaged with the customer lifecycle and everyone feels that their opinion is heard. Because how we do that fundamentally, it's the most important thing for us to grow our business and to build long-term value for our customer, which ultimately is, is where we will derive long-term value for our stakeholders, investors, and our personnel. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome everybody. You're in the session called Product-Led or Sales-Led, Should You Make the Leap? Um, Many SaaS companies are succeeding today not through the strength of the execution of their sales teams, but rather through the addictive qualities of the product itself. We all know product-led growth is taking the SaaS world by storm with a promising allure of quicker growth and lower SaaS acquisition costs. People generally consider it to mean driving revenue through the product itself, designing the product for the end user, and letting the user experience the product before monetization. But what we're trying to answer here today is whether the grass is really always greener on the other side. Instead of having each of us have to ponder that on our own, I'm super thrilled to have here with with me today three very experienced SaaS leaders to let us get to the bottom of this question. So I've been lucky. I've had the benefit of getting a little sneak preview. So just as a teaser, we'll get to listen to Jan Arens from Salego talk us through transitioning from a sales-led approach to Mike Weir from G2 to speak about aligning the CRO and CPO positions, and to Paul Lynch from Chargify remind us that no matter our go-to-market model, we still need to focus on identifying and serving our target customer. As a short brief background to myself, my name is Ingrid Bondi Ackerland. I started my startup career in growth marketing, product marketing, and pricing leadership roles. Most recently, I was the VP of marketing and growth at a stock-based startup joined them at seed stage and left them at post series A to join Ox VC. 
I'm now in Western Ox, where a B2B SaaS focused fund backing European SaaS startups at what we call the emerging go-to-market fit stage when the commercial teams are scaling and the go-to-market models gain predictability. But I'm not the focus of today's panel, so let's get on to our panelists. Mike, would you like to kick us off? Could you please introduce yourself, your company, and whether you would describe your approach as sales-led, product-led, or a hybrid of both? Absolutely. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Uh, Mike Weir, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at G2. G2 is where you go for software. We ultimately want to help buyers to make highly informed decisions about the options they have in the market and whether or not it's going to fit for their specific company type. Um, we approach it, and I have historically approached it, uh, in a hybrid model so that it isn't a just pure product-led or a pure sales-led approach. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to sharing more about why. Wonderful. Looking forward to listening to it. Uh, Jan, uh, what about yourself? Hello, everyone. Uh, Jan Arendt. I'm the founder and CEO of Soligo. So what we do is we help companies automate their business processes by connecting the enterprise through integration. So we are an integration platform. The industry calls the space IPaaS integration platform as a service. Uh, so we've been around for a few years and uh, I think about five years back, we decided to go ahead and entirely re-platform. And we decided to do that because we wanted to really take this concept of integration that's fairly complex, fairly technical. And we wanted to simplify it as much as possible. And we wanted to love both technical users as well as not so technical users, uh, what we call a tech savvy business user, be able to come in and build integration. So that was kind of the, the guiding light for us to replatform. And I mean, clearly at that time, five years back, I'd not even heard the term product-led growth. Uh, all we wanted to do was make it accessible to uh, a large audience in terms of end users. And we wanted to build a product where someone can come in, sign up, and literally within seconds start building integrations. And I do want to point out one key uh, difference here is that unlike a lot of other well-known product-led growth companies uh, that specialize in solving a, a particular business problem. It's a business application. We are ultimately a platform. And so our journey has been a, a little bit different and happy to expand on that later on this session. Looking forward to hearing more. Last but not least, Paul, think about yourself. Thank you, Inger. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, joining us from North America, wherever you are, our afternoon in Europe. Uh, I'm Paul Lynch. I'm the CEO of Chargeify. Um, we're a billing and subscription management company, uh, and we focus specifically on the B2B SaaS market. Um, as, a, as a SaaS player, we're a pretty mature company. We've been around since 2009. So we're, um, you know, we're coming into our 13th year of existence, and uh, we've had a sort of broad um, experience across multiple different industry categories in terms of how we've gone to market and the, the products and services we've delivered, uh, which has ultimately uh, brought us to this point today, where we have a, 
a very, very strong product roadmap and thesis around servicing the, the, the specific global B2B SaaS market. And we specialize in, in sort of advanced billing, um, so complex billing uh, rollouts and requirements uh, that encompasses the, the whole sort of move to usage-based value pricing um, and metered batch utility um, and sort of more complex um, solutions than your standard, you know, charge me $20 a month, box the month kind of services. So let's kick it off um, with one of my favorite topics, which is team alignment in companies. So in a sales-led approach, we all know the drill. You need to have everyone who owns parts of the customer lifecycle aligned, whether that's from marketing to sales to customer success. Then along comes product-led growth or hybrid models, and suddenly you're introducing a new team in there, the product team. Um, I'd love to start by digging into who owns the customer lifecycle of your companies and how do you align among those teams. Um, Mike, I know you've spoken a lot about how you partner with the CPO at G2. Maybe you'd kick us off here, uh, offering some of your insights. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, our chief product officer, Sarah Rossi, is amazing. Uh, love having a great partnership with product leader. And for us, you know, the customer life cycle, it actually starts even before that, right? Because of the nature uh, of our, our company, you know, we start with our buyers the individuals who are researching technologies, trying to learn about what's available in the market, compare and make informed and effective decisions. And so our CPO is very maniacal about understanding the buyer behaviors, what they're looking for and creating the experience for them that then becomes the foundation for uh, what she and I and our whole organization talk about relative to the customers. So. If we're creating buyer value, how do we bring customers into that in a very authentic and valuable way? Um, so the approach we take is a top-down, bottoms-up, so that we have perspective coming from the product organization that allows for them to build a roadmap of innovation, uh, but also has a contrast because we think the, the push and pull is extremely important to keep a very solid balance on what's going on in the market. So I've built a three-year roadmap with the existing product roadmap as the, the guiding point. But I came back to Sarah and we sat down and talked through ideas that uh, we had around how we could expand our total addressable market, how we could advance some of our existing products in different ways based on market trends that we were seeing, based on how we wanted to engage with customers across their life cycle differently from prospects to brand new customers to multi-year customers that we have. And they're, you know, they're looking for the, the latest and greatest. And so we needed to create more layers within our roadmap to be able to serve those different customers and their maturity with us better. Uh, and so the bottoms up approach comes in through feedback loops that we create with an ideas portal and with a labs concept that allows anybody in the company to be able to submit ideas via the ideas pool and get them upvoted for product to consider building them in. And those tend to be where we get amazing innovations about how customers want to use us based on their maturity. Brand new customer, how can we help onboard better? How can we give you more educational tools to use our platform? Long-term customers, they're pushing us in great ways to innovate. And so we wanna create those top-down, bottoms-up motions to really balance the organization on what's gonna be best for our buyers and in turn, make it a great seller experience for our clients. That's super interesting. So it's about the push and pull 
with people with different sorts of perspectives on that customer and their life cycle needs. Um, Paul, do you agree with that? Actually, I do, yeah. I think you make a very good point, Mike. Um, I'll, I'll sort of elaborate on it a little bit in terms of where, where, where Chargeify would view it and where I would view it. Um, I think to answer, uh, like, uh, what I didn't uh, stipulate when I introduced Chargeify was what we were. Were we a product or a sales-led business? I, I'd, I'd see us very much as a hybrid. Um, uh, and I do feel that, you know, there's not, there doesn't need to be a jarring kind of change in companies if you want to, to take a, a larger focus towards product-led growth rather than sales-led growth. I mean, I think this sort of is dependent at the stage that your company is at within its life cycle. Um, and I think, you know, there will be certain, you know, onus on sales over product-led growth, you know, earlier on when you're trying to get revenue and get yourselves to an initial raise period, uh, you know, and then you'll drive more towards product. Um, so um, to, to talk to, to Mike's position, um, I, yeah, I mean, we would take a, a, a bottom sub top down approach as well, as far as the customer life cycle is concerned. Uh, I think the two most prominent people in any organization around this is probably going to be your, your your revenue leader and your CPO. But I think as you get into smaller companies, um, everyone across the management team needs to have a strong viewpoint on this and be fully engaged. Um, I don't think anyone can sort of not take a position on it, be you in marketing or be you in engineering. Uh, and I think the 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 CEO or the leader in, in organizations needs to be the person that brings this level of cohesive and alignment. Um, his job is to, to garner and drive consensus across the leadership team that, you know, everyone, one is engaged with the customer life cycle um, and everyone feels that their opinion is heard. Uh, because how we do that, fundamentally, it's the most important thing for us to grow our business uh, and to build long-term value for our customer, which ultimately is, is where we will derive long-term value for our stakeholders, investors, and our personnel. Jan, are you also the consensus driver uh, in aligning everybody across the customer lifecycle at your company? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and look, every company is different. So um, again, I don't think I stated as to where we stand uh, in the intro as well. So just as Paul said, we are a hybrid as well. Uh, and we've we've made a transition to do both, uh, even though we have both sales-led and product-led uh, models in existence today uh, simultaneously. Um, for us, I think the, the customer experience is, is really important. So we have an entire customer organization, uh, starting with uh, implementation, um, customer success managers, support, uh, education, so on and so forth. So uh, I think it's that intersection of uh, product, sales, marketing, and the customer organization that really drives it. They're all equally important. Um, and, and I must say that our product team, our product managers are very involved in uh, both uh, kind of typical pre-sales and especially post-sales. They are always in various different accounts, understanding how customers are using us, the adoption patterns. So it's, uh, without getting into too much detail, it's just one big uh, feedback cycle and and the sum is greater than the parts. I'd love to continue actually with, with you, Jan, and dig a little more into this sort of re-platforming. I find that a lot of this sort of content articles we might come across online talk far more about how it 
you start off product red and then at five or 10 million at ARR, that's the time to bring on a sales team and you shift more to sales led. You've obviously taken a very different approach that I think is super interesting replatforming. Um, could you talk us through the transition, sort of what were the unexpected challenges? What were the really keys that made it all succeed? And how was that transition? And for sure, it's never done. So perhaps where are you now? Yeah, especially that last part, <laughs> understanding that. So, so look, our journey is, is different, right? Because we decided to replatform. Uh, you go through all these headaches of migrations and then for a certain period of time, uh, selling two different uh, product stacks, one and so forth. Putting that aside, uh, we had a sales-led model and we introduced uh, a new platform and right from the get-go, we had, uh, the, as I said before, the mindset was, look, someone should be able to come in, sign up, and without reading the documentation, without getting trained, they should be able to start building a particular integration workflow. And integration is not simple. It's not like just using a simple business application, right? You have a certain objective and you're trying to stitch together various different apps together. So with that mantra, we decided very early on, uh, right from day number one, that we would have a freemium model. Uh, we would have uh, free trials where you can get uh, all the functionality of the product. And so for us, the, um, the interesting thing was to adapt to that model. All of a sudden, uh, we figured that our go-to-market was not well-suited to support these users who are trying to build these various different integrations. And, um, and so we had to divert some of our go-to-market bandwidth to be able to cover that. And, and so we've now gotten to a model where uh, I think, uh, especially on that kind of freemium trial aspect, it's working pretty well, it's certainly not perfect. And we're starting to get into situations where some uh, end users go in there and they actually build out multiple different integrations, they test it out and then they come to us and say, okay, we're ready to buy. And that is just music to our ears, right? Uh, and it's still a fairly small, percentage of the kind of overall model, but it's, it's ultimately five years later that it's realizing that vision that we had. So again, our story is a little bit different than most SaaS companies. So what I take from that is that you, if you're going to go that direction, be persistent and be very clear on what you're trying to achieve. Um, Mike and Paul, we mentioned there are sort of free trials and freemiums. Those are some of the common toolkits uh, when you're exploring product-led growth. Um, how do you approach each of those um, tools at your own companies? Do you use them? Do you not use them? And why? I think I'll go, I'll go first, Mike. Um, it depends on what your company is. Um, it depends on what you do. It depends on who you sell to, who is the buyer persona. Um, I mean, this will determine whether or not freemium is the is the right or, like, I'm not going to say wrong model. Um, I, I don't think you can talk in absolutes around that kind of positioning, because uh, it has a lot more to do. I mean, it's around brand awareness, perception, it's around sort of value pricing, it's around, there's a lot of things that, that touch upon this. Um, for me, it, 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 it's very, two questions, right? One, you need to you need to be, you need to understand and need to be aligned as a management team. Is your product a product that is bought or is your product a product that is sold? 
okay? Um, if people come to your platform and then buy your product without a need to be touched upon by a sales function, then, and, and, and also if you have a, a well-informed uh, and technical kind of user base, like you're a developer tool, and these guys are, uh, don't like to be sold to, these guys are highly technical, they're able to figure it out themselves, yeah, I mean, this is a good this is a good platform for freemium. Um, and then your job is to once you get these guys hooked, optimize, 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 optimize. This is what Jan is thinking about all the time. How do I increase my premium to paid um, cohort that's moving across? And if I had an answer to it, I've always said I'd write a book and I'd retire on it uh, because I'd be a, a, a billionaire because um, this is a big dilemma within SaaS businesses in the premium model. Um, for me, Chargeify is not a business that is necessarily bought. It's a complex fintech tool. Uh, it takes developer resources to deploy into your stack. We manage your full product catalog. We manage your full customer base revenue. We integrate into 26 payment processors. So we manage payment processing across credit cards and ACH. Uh, we've got global currency management in terms of selling across multi-different jurisdictions. Uh, nobody really comes in and says, hey, I, I don't need anyone to help me with this. I'm happy to figure it out myself. Um, you know, there is a lot of diligence around you know, buying the kind of fintech tool that we are. Um, and for me, a company that comes in and says, hey, just give me access to the API and I'll figure it all out myself, it's not a credible lead. Um, they they want to be going back into their board, their stakeholders, their investors, and they want to be showing an appropriate level of due diligence done to pick a partner like us. Um, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, yeah, well, it will be fun today. I think I'll change my billing and subscription management provider. That'll be great. Take a couple of hours. No, it's not like that. So. Yeah. I didn't do that yesterday. <laughs> exactly. So to, to, to answer the question around, you know, what's the best model, understand your the buyer persona, who, understand who's buying from you, you know, understand whether or not your, 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 your product is one that's bought or sold. Um, and uh, from that point, you know, you, you can make meaningful decisions. Also know, like Jan, uh, when, when he has this premium model there, it's not purely, it's not just around growth. I mean, he's saying something to the market around the quality of his product. He's saying, look, come in and use it. We'll open the kimono. If you don't like it, don't buy, but we'll let you try it for free. Um, so it's a very strong message to put out there. And it, it, it shows a, you know, it, it shows a large amount of belief in one's brand and one's product and one's platform to, to do that. The user personas and the bot versus sold. Mike, obviously, you also have a very different perspective because you have a different product company here as well. So what's your view, take on this today? Yeah, well, first, I love Paul's perspective on this because uh, that is, I completely agree, the right way to be thinking about it is just literally how how difficult is your product to use? How is the selling motion? And how is the adoption and utilization motion? You know, in, in our world, we have to think about it on two different horizons. Uh, at the very basic level, because we because we really foster a marketplace, we want you know active and passive companies within that marketplace. We continuously add to the profiles and the companies and the products that they build within our overall marketplace because that's necessary for our buyer experience. And we know that not everybody's going to want to be actively engaged in the G2 marketplace. So we create a freemium model that allows for all products to be represented, whether or not you're a paying client, because that's best for our buyers. We want to be open and agnostic. And so on the one level, we create a very basic freemium model that allows anybody to be listed, anybody's presence to be there and be discoverable by the buyer community. And then, of course, we use traditional techniques to be able to engage those folks 
and then eventually hand them to a salesperson to educate them more on why become active, what value can it create for your business. And in that sales motion, like the product can help get us there, but we need to engage directly with clients. But the second part of our platform is you know, more the traditional, like our G2 track product is actually a SaaS spend and compliance management product. And we have a great freemium model there, which is like, hey, if you want to use this, if you want to put the time into setting it up, it you know, basically takes about an hour or less, plug this into your financial systems, plug this into the appropriate places within your single sign-on, and we'll help you immediately start seeing what SaaS you have within your corporate environment what rogue IT is out there. And you can start utilizing some of the basic functionality to experience what track can provide. And then as always, we have higher level additions that people can get more and more functionality that could require hands-on support. So we, we do actually have to look at it in a very product-led approach, which is like get access to the product, make it super easy to plug in, and then eventually introduce a sales professional and on the marketplace side, it is much more of a, you can be a part of the experience, but eventually you've got to engage with sales to get full value out of it. Interesting. It's interesting too, how you have two different products going on at the same time, actually, and obviously maybe cater to both of them. Um, one thing I was picking up there is sort of, uh, each of you were answering that is, we speak both about users and we speak about buyers. Traditionally in SaaS, obviously knowing our ICP, our target buyer persona is super important. Now entering this hybrid product-led growth world, we also have user personas to think about. Um, so how do you think about that? Who identifies those personas and how do you incorporate them into your into your business strategies, your companies? Uh, Paul, how about we start off with you for this one? Um, it's a great question. I mean, I, I look, I, but I, I, I'm not sure that this sort of, the popularity of the populist movement around product-led growth is necessarily made this any more relevant than it was a couple of years ago. I mean, we always need to, like the, a quick path to failure is not recognizing, you know, the user versus the buyer, right? I, I look at sort of Chargeify. I mean, we're a technology tool that fits into the tech stack. We often laugh, well, we often say, or rather than laugh, that we're a tool that's bought by developers, but used by accountants, you know? So if we just tailor to the developer that, that purchased Chargeify and puts it into the tech stack, integrates it with HubSpot or Salesforce and NetSuite, uh, and you know we don't cater to the accountant that actually uses us, we'll we'll churn out in, in, in very quickly. You know what I mean? Um, it's not so like yes. I mean I think the sort of product-led growth strategies have probably you know, amplified this as a requirement, but it certainly hasn't created it. Yeah, understand. You know, don't just understanding the buyer is not enough for long-term or sustained success for any SaaS business or any business in general. We need to cater to the individual user uh, and we need to innovate to them. Um, Chargeify is, 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 is a really, really good case here. And I'm not purely saying this because I'm the chief executive. Like Chargeify, everyone in the company uses us. You know, so the accountant uses us to close the books at the end of the month. The CFO uses us to get analytics so we can make decisions around budgeting. The CEO uses us to see trends in terms of what's selling, you know, where and to who. The sales team uses us to look at opportunities that they've previously been um, in, in, in engaged on Chargeify. The customer success people live in us because, I mean, with, within Chargeify, they see the billing records, they see who's paid, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, if I simply said, you know, today, Ingrid, I'm going to delight the accountants, 
uh, and completely ignored the customer success people that used us. I would just find like these guys would become detractors within the organization. Um, and you know, the, the louder and louder and louder that voice and volume becomes, uh, the more difficult it will be to keep that customer engaged. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for I, I think in every company, uh, you, you got to understand that the buyer isn't always the user. Uh, and that even if the buyer is the user, there may be other people within the organization that are currently using you. And you have to give equal measure in terms of how you focus on everybody. Um, you neglect one group and they become a vocal detractor. Your your, your opportunity to keep that business uh, and that customer happy is, is going to be hugely limited. Sound like eternal words of wisdom that all companies should be using indeed. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, I think this is just like the, the guys are like, Mike and, and Jan are gnarly as well. I mean, they've been around. I mean, this this isn't about SaaS or their business. Yeah, this it's is just, very this is just good practice. For, for us as well, uh, what you said, it, we straddle a line between business and IT. And it's it's not, I, I, I don't mean to downplay other apps, but there are a number of other apps that are, let's say, product-led that, solve a particular use case it's very easy to go hone in on that what we do is is very different i actually think we only have a few minutes left so if you had one snappy tweetable tip for the audience to remember and take with them what would it be based on the context of this conversation irrespective of model ultimately in terms of what we do and i think this applies to most b2b SaaS companies it's adoption and realizing value and what is the fastest path to get there if you solve that you're going to be in good company it's about figuring out the fastest path to success uh for me um i love in in SAS, we always have dilemmas um i love the innovators dilemma you know if you do want to adopt like you, you, there were two different you got to be to see you, uh, in terms of SaaS businesses, you see virality, a lot of it, Snapchat, WhatsApp, these things, you're all product led, you know what I mean? No one's selling that in the B2C world. B2B is a little more complex. So the, the, the big dilemma around the innovator is you know, when to go to market. You want to have a product led growth strategy, you want to drive virality, you want to drive brand awareness and, and stuff in the market. So you want to drive the best possible product. But we all know that it's the best product doesn't always win, it seldom wins. The product which is first to market and gains market share and, 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 and peace of mind, that's the one that wins. So, you know, in terms of your sales or your product-led strategy, when do you go to market with your product? When is your MVP suitable to go to market? Don't dilly-dally. The sooner you can get there, the sooner, as Jan said, you can drive adoption, the better the chance of success you'll have. Now, I'm not talking about launching rubbish products, okay? I'm, I'm saying understand, you know, when the product is, is fit as an MVP to go to market. Mike? You gotta protect your core. And I think that is so important as, as companies grow and scale and we take on serving more personas is that we cannot lose focus on who the core of our business is, who is that core persona? Because if we deviate from them, I think to, to part of Paul's point earlier, they become big detractors because very quickly companies sprawl and they try to do too much and they dilute and they minimize their value for all and it causes huge churn issues. So make sure that you're always protecting that core. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Um, I really appreciate the conversation. I hope that you did as well. And 
let's take it from Paul. Let's not dilly dally. Let's go build some products and launch some products. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.